and welcome to Accountability Talks with AGA. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today, we'll be speaking on the topic of women in government, some lessons learned. And we have with us Tracy Walker, Mary Peterman, and Gwen Sykes. So this is a very lively discussion. I think you guys will enjoy it. So let's tune in and check out the podcast. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm very happy to be speaking about women in government and some leadership lessons, and we have three leaders in the room today. So I'm going to introduce everybody here, or have them introduce themselves. So why don't we start off with uh, Tracy Walker. Um, Hello, everyone, and thank you, Paul. Uh, Yes, I'm Tracy Walker. I am the national leader of culture, diversity, and inclusion for RSM. But I've been in public sector accounting for 23 years now. So after serving as a federal finance leader five years ago, I was asked to focus on culture, diversity, and inclusion exclusively. So our partnership with AGA and the Women's Forum, Women's Panels, Women's Webcasts, we're all products of that. So, so excited to be here. Great. And we also have Mary Peterman. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Tracy and Gwen. I am really excited to be here with this very esteemed panel of folks. Um, I think first and foremost, I am a past national president of AGA, Um, honored and privileged to have served in that role and continue to be an active member, um, particularly as we're embarking on endeavoring into women's issues in our profession. And um, also currently serve as the deputy chief for finance and procurement for the United States courts. Great, and Gwen Sykes. Hi, good morning everyone. I'm Gwen Sykes. I'm the Chief Financial Officer for the United States Secret Service. I have well over 20 plus years in federal service in various roles from accounting to auditing to financial management, but most recently as a CFO. I am also a proud member of AGA, have served on the boards of AGA, and I have often spoke at AGA and many of your forums. So I'm looking forward to continuing this dialogue on women and women issues. Great, and here we go again. We're speaking again, that's great. So I'm very happy everybody's here today. Um, So let's jump into some topics. Um, I think we'd start off, I'd be nice to hear from you all how you see the career path um, for for women in accounting and finance, and maybe just what's unique about that. Sure, well, I can start by saying women enter the profession pretty much at the same rate as men. Um, There are actually, per the data, more women in government accounting than males. However, the higher you go from a management um, hierarchy leadership perspective, the fewer women there are, and the drop-off is significant. So if you have financial responsibility, leadership responsibility, in federal government, uh, for the most part, those positions go to men, with some great exceptions like the women we have here today. So the challenge that we have is to try and cultivate more leaders and make sure we create more access for women leaders. It's interesting, I read a um, Time article on this recently and and I think it'll probably go to some of the conversation that we're gonna have a little bit later about um, potentially unconscious bias or just the fact it's harder to make that climb. But they said that women are falling off the glass cliff, which I mm. found pretty interesting. They said that they did a study that um, the average CEO, people's perception of a CEO is someone that's six foot tall with a deep voice. Right. So is it that 
it's just harder for us and we're not willing to make the investment? Um, is it that people don't look like us? I know in my own career um, from the very early stages, there weren't a lot of people that looked like me in these positions. Um, I think that's changing today, but I think it requires um, a little bit more savvy to navigate that environment knowing that there aren't going to be as many of us as we continue progressing in our careers. Yeah, but per that article, it sounds like we're not even hitting the glass yeah. ceiling. Mm. We're falling off we're the falling cliff off the glass well cliff. before exactly. we get to those ranks. Which so is what sad. are those troubling things that we probably have experienced, I don't think both Mary and myself can talk to, is the fact that women have choices that they have to make mm -hmm. at, those, at those points in time. You know, some women have to make a choice between family and or job. And those choices aren't necessarily the same choices that men have to make all the time. Because, and now in today's society, men do have paternity leave. So there are some men that are still having, starting to have to make that choice. So we'll see somewhat of a change as we move forward. Mm -hmm. But we also have to make sure that women understand that whether you're going to have your career as your choice or your family as a choice, there's no such thing as I would like to say as work-life balance, but also getting to the table and how you actually be professional and move forward in your career and what skills and abilities that you actually make a choice to go and commandeer so that you're at the table and that you don't fall off that cliff. That's right. Those are things that people have to make personal choices about. And I think Mary and I can both attest to different sacrifices and different things that you have to do in order to promulgate your own personal career in finance. Sure. Absolutely. So in that journey then, when would you say that you, you, you do start to see that drop off? Is it right at the management level, mid-management, or, or when you get to the higher executive levels? What are you seeing? Well, we're seeing women make the decision consciously mm -hmm. before they become manager. Oh, okay. Yes. Some step into the management role and then have conflict or val their balance. Sure. But to that point, I'd like to add that sometimes the challenge is within us. Correct. Confidence to own your future and say, I'd love to pick up my kids off the school bus at three o'clock twice a week. So I need flexibility in order to do that. What can we work out? Some will ask the question, work out an arrangement, or maybe they wanna go back to school, get a new certificate, but if you don't speak up and ask, then it's hard to suffer in silence. And I think a lot of women do that and end up leaving. Yes. <clears throat> and to that, to that uh, notion, I have a bracelet, which is a podcast, so people can't see it. And, but the ladies here can see it. It's very it pretty. Fearless. Right. Okay. You have to be fearless about yourself and taking care of yourself as a female leader or potential leader. And you have to make those choices and be fearless about articulating to leadership, to management, or as you move forward in your career that says, this is a non-negotiable. I need to be able to do this. Right. Okay. And I've done that in my career. People will look at my bio and you'll see where I was at Yale University and I migrated to Morehouse College. Well, why did I do that? At that point in time, I had to make a choice. I had a father with Alzheimer's and a mother with breast cancer. I could not continue at the rapid pace that Yale University required. I set out into the universe. I spoke with Dr. Franklin, who is the president of Morehouse College, and I said, I need to be able to take care of my parents. 
Okay, I have no children, but I needed to take care of my parents. That was a personal choice. They accommodated me in a job that was a CFO job, gave me the space to be able to take care of my parents and, and do that. And that was a but pretty I courageous ask, ask mm-hmm. right? I had so to ask. So courage is required. Right. And that's fearless. sometimes challenging. Yes, we have to be fearless. Yeah. Well, actually, that's, that kind of goes to my next question. Mm-hmm. You know, what behaviors do you have to exhibit or what techniques can you use to kind of, you know, navigate this? So, I mean, I, I think... Tracy was going to talk a little bit more about what the pie model is, which I think is pretty interesting um, in, in looking at, you know, sort of this trifecta of performance and image and exposure. So I think, you know, as we're starting out in our careers, we're very focused on developing those competencies, right? The, to demonstrate to ourselves and to everyone else and give us the confidence that we know what we're doing technically. We know what we're doing to manage, you know, within the sphere. But right alongside of that and where I don't think we're investing as much time and where it does need to be an investment of our own personal capital is is in our image and in our exposure and and there are things that we need to do things that I personally made a conscious decision to do um, which benefited me and and helped me build relationships helped me build the exposure that I need such as you know deciding to get involved in that first chapter leadership thing with AGA and finding through each opportunity as I progressed in AGA leadership, it gave me the additional exposure. I stood on the competencies, the infrastructure of my performance, but it's through those relationships that I've built through the years. Um, you know, I, I joke I was a GS-12 accountant in uh, the Coast Guard Finance Center well outside the Beltway, but yet was on the first name basis with the Comptroller General of the United States mm-hmm. and could call him a friend. So if you don't make those investments in being able to develop that, you're not going to, to really kind of create the platform that enables success in your career. Sure. And I would also echo on that and say not only create networks, but also create friendships. Yes. And guides and people that you will run across throughout your career, right, mm-hmm. Mary? Absolutely. <laughs> That's really what PI is about. It's about having someone to help drive you in these areas. So giving you insights that lead to better performance, mm-hmm. um, speaking well of you in your absence. So people take notice of your skills and talents and then exposing you by inviting you to conferences, giving you rigorous assignments to help you grow. So having the right mentors, sponsors to make sure your pie is in order or you have a big slice of it, you know. We're is, talking is women key. issues and we're cooking again. Okay. <laughs> Back to food, right? Always. Yes. And so, you know, to that point, in the study of diversity and inclusion and particularly gender inclusion, I went back to Harvard to their grant, uh, graduate program on organizational behavior because it's really about how we behave. And studies say women early career are much less confident until age 40. Mm-hmm. Then somehow our competency and confidence reconcile. But what can we do for women early, earlier, so that they feel courageous like you two sooner and can start strategizing to, to move up? Because Paul, I think that yeah. helps not only women but men too, probably. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I have a mode of what I call reach one, teach one, grab one, drag one. 
So at any point in Can time. Can you repeat that? <laughs> <laughs> reach one, teach one, uh, grab, grab one, one, drag one. one. Okay. <laughs> so I usually take an opportunity to reach out to see if there's someone out there either in my work environment, in another work environment, in a, another component, another agency that I can reach out to. And I personally become their mentor, that pie, that person that speaks on their behalf when they're not in the room that kind of encourages them but I also keep in touch with them I've got quite a long list of them now Gmail is a wonderful thing so I'm able to do it now a lot through virtual opportunities and doing Facebook so I don't have to have meetings all the time with folks but I can Facebook with them at many different hours of the time so that's to reach one teach one we all women have folks around us that we can lift up that are that we look at somebody and we're like oh that person's got some real potential you know teach them grab right. them along and kind of teach them and teach them what you know and show them the pitfalls of what you've been and bring them to a meeting and have them sit there even though it's not in their area or what their expertise is doing that exposure is great yes okay that's yes. the it's life-changing and it's life-changing yeah. for them yes to give them a perspective that they can be there too sure Sure. And then, of course, the grab one, drag one. Usually there's those folks that out there that are just really special and you know they're really smart, but they're just not getting a clue. So you kind of have to grab those along and bring them along. <laughs> and then you've got the other ones that you just got to drag along because... Right, the reluctant mentee. The reluctant <laughs> mentee. You know, you see the potential in them. Yes. Male or female, but I, I do normally aside to females that you have to say, hey, look you've got some choices that you need to make and here's an opportunity and I need you and you start grabbing and dragging them along or you put them in tough assignments so that they do well like right Mary <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and and then one day something really exciting happens the light bulb lights yes and and then and then as you are in that mentor role you know all of the glorious internal satisfaction comes because you realize that especially when you show up for work one day and you find out that your next boss or your next peer is somebody that you mentored 10 years ago yeah um so that's exciting it's it's such a great investment to be it's able like to make another people exactly <laughs> exactly and then you come back and work for them it's a great opportunity <laughs> exactly <laughs> So I'll, I'll throw something out there. Actually, for me personally, I found that I think almost all my mentors have been women in my career, honestly. Nice. Uh, it's just, I feel like the male, it's a little bit different. It's almost more about I want to succeed. I want to get where I got to go. Competitive. And, you know, people can learn from me, but I'm not going to take the time to sit down and really mentor you where I've had uh, the women that have mentored me are just very much interested in that and helping me grow and, you know, see some almost like succession planning in a way. Sure. You know, that I just didn't see from some of the male counterparts. And well, I can honestly say all of my male, my mentors have been male. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's what we're yeah the other the other side that we need to hear that perspective too think, or something like that. I, don't know. I think it, for me it was a matter of being able to whereas I I would bring the woman view to certain situations and right. and sometimes as women we like to think and take things quote unquote personally. Sure. Whereas the guys as my mentors the male as my mentor have been able to give me a, another perspective that said, no, he didn't mean it like that. Right. I'll, it, it, Let's matter take fact, the emotion out. Yeah, and, and then hear, move hear the facts only. And, yeah. move, and by the way, he's in, forgot about it two minutes ago, and sure. he's in, moved on. Yeah. Okay. Right. So those were valuable life skill mm -hmm. lessons that I was able to learn from my male counterparts as mentors that have helped me be successful at the table in any other career that I've gotten and, into. And I think that's an important point because... It, 
the the more I've grown in my career, the more I've realized we need everyone, right? We mm -hmm. need people that have that high EQ, you know, that mm -hmm. understand emotional intelligence. Uh, I think when it, I had the opportunity to participate in the Women's Forum at the AGA PDT with Tracy, I said, you know, my whole career, I thought I've had this huge weakness that I was a feeler, right? And um, that empath empathy was kind of always led in front of me in, in every situation. And, uh, you know, what I've realized now is that's actually a great strength of mine. I think I said I was an empathetic badass. That's is what right. I said. <laughs> the, uh, and that got and huge continue. applause. <laughs> and continue. <laughs> but we need everyone. We need, you know, we need those people in the room that, that can see through the emotion to the tactical needs of the organization. We need the people that bring the feeling skills that help develop and invest people, you know, from an emotional perspective. I, I think that's what makes organizations and teams really thrive. And that's, that's true. It's also how we behave towards each other. Mm -hmm. So to your point about needing everyone, we have a women's leadership forum uh, at RSM where we bring women and leaders together to talk about how can we move better together. And one of the men there was talking about two ways to introduce women in a meeting. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about Indra Nooyi, president mm -hmm. of PepsiCo, PepsiCo. Mm -hmm. how she said women walk into a meeting sometimes at a 50% credibility disadvantage wow. compared to men. Mm -hmm. So it's not until you open your mouth, show that you're prepared, show that you have some original thought, do you get to zero? And now they'll treat you like an equal. So he said, hearing that, when he's in a room with women, he introduces his colleague, mentee, what have you, with starting with her expertise and how valuable it's gonna be in this conversation and how lucky they are to have her. Hmm. Because if he doesn't do that, people will speak to him as the male in the room, the expert. And so she gets kind of ignored or worse, microaggression, asked to take notes or get coffee, right? <laughs> Which we all may have experienced, right? So no one, no one has mal intent, but to that point, if men can be intentional and conscious about how they champion women in those environments, it can make a huge difference in terms of how they're respected and their confidence in contributing. That's what I was gonna say is, is the, the times that male leaders, heads of organizations have done that for me, the actual investment um, that that did for me boosted my confidence. I felt like I was able to speak more freely, yep. that I could express my ideas more freely in the room. Um, so it didn't only free the other people in the room <coughs> to have to focus their attention on that person, but it really kind of said, okay, I have a seat at the table. I am important in this conversation and I can freely offer my ideas. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Tracy, I, don't, I know we talked about some pillars. So we've talked about mentors. We talked about a little bit about confidence. Were there some other ones maybe we can uh, touch on? In terms of what helps women to own your career, to, to own your future. Right, own your yeah. future. I think, you know, if you have, one thing is internal, right? So you have to have a plan in terms of where you want to go, how you want to get there, and what that looks like. So to Gwen's point about choices, 
Mary has a great story about how she became the head of AGA. Mm-hmm. Very intentional, get out of my way, <laughs> come with me or move out of the way. Um, and I'm not saying you have to be something other than yourself, but it does require um, courage mm-hmm. to and self-advocacy to speak up for what that plan looks like for you, for your family, for your career, your credentials. And then mentors are very important. So the cliche or the term board of personal board of directors, some people feel is overused. I don't. I, I could not have succeeded without some, you know, definitive, powerful mentors who were vested in my career. So I think there's a balance. You've got to be courageous and fight for yourself, but you also have to um, establish the relationships with people who mm-hmm. will champion you. And, and I'll it, challenge you on one more thing to add to that. You really have to define what success looks like for you. True. Mm-hmm. What success looks like for me, for Mary, and for you are very different. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it'll be very different for everyone else. But what gives you joy and energy for her, for Mary, <clears throat> it was a matter of becoming the AGA president, okay? Yes. And darn it, we were all on that bandwagon. <laughs> <laughs> she got everyone on the bandwagon. Okay. To, that, to and, that point, Gwen, I just want to <clears throat> say you have to um, not take yourself out. Correct. So if someone looks at you, Gwen Sykes, mm-hmm. and says, when she retires, I'd love to have her job or walk in her Please, footsteps. take it now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But there are others who say, I could never be her. Yes, you I could can. never. And so there's so much responsibility for women to support each other and say, this is possible for mm-hmm. you. Would you agree with that? I completely agree. I will tell you that I was very humbled when I took on the role of being the NASA CFO um, and being presidentially appointed and Senate confirmed for the NASA CFO. Um, I was looking at my mentor then, Sean O'Keefe, introducing me, and it did not dawn on me until he spoke at the podium and said, I was the first African-American female CFO for NASA in 2002. Wow. And I'm sitting there looking at him, and it dawns on me. I'm like, are you kidding me? Okay, I had a are you kidding me moment. Right. Okay, why? This is 2002. Right. Are you kidding me? But you weren't trying to achieve a racial milestone no ma'am you're trying to be the best that you could be i was and just look at the doing accounting yeah <laughs> <laughs> look what can come from doing accounting ladies and, in the future and, this and, is a know, career you might want and right? then <laughs> turning around thinking oh i gotta change this i yeah. gotta be part of the change yes that this should not be the statement when a woman becomes something right whatever that something she's is she's the first the first nothing. in this day and age mm-hmm. right exactly yeah and I was like, huh? okay. <laughs> so we have to not let each other fall off the cliffs. That's yes. Right. And we need to drag one, <laughs> yep. grab yes. one. Grab one, exactly. drag one. <laughs> love it, love it. Well, let me ask a little bit about, I mean, everything I've heard today as far as some of the challenges, honestly, a lot of them sound like internal decisions you had to make or just having that confidence to move forward, do things. I mean, maybe just talk a little bit about things that out there that external factors, like, I mean, unconscious bias, things like that, that you know, maybe give us some examples of how that comes up. Yeah, there, there are so many studies. In fact, there's a pledge that folks are asked to sign, um, the CEO Action Network. And it's basically organizations, companies, nonprofit, government entities recognizing that unconsciously 
we can be oppressing, suppressing, stifling the career growth of women in the workforce um, and underrepresented pop populations mm -hmm. in general. So by offering, encouraging, sometimes mandating unconscious bias training, managing bias training, leadership dexterity training, cultural dexterity training, people have these aha moments where I didn't realize asking a woman to get mm -hmm. coffee in a meeting or when someone says, who's gonna take notes, looking to the woman in the room is a problem. Yeah. So how do I, instead of diminishing her confidence, how do I lift, as Gwen so artfully said, lifting others. And so I think training is important, but there are women's groups, um, affinity groups within the federal sector that you can join that have courageous conversations on these subjects. Mm -hmm. And AGA is one of them. Our Women's Forum and others are attended by men mm -hmm. who want the skills to lead diverse teams. Right. And so it's a skill. And if men are committed to making this change and helping in the fight to expand the profession to women in the future, it starts with training, it starts with you know being intentional, and sometimes just with a one-on-one -on -one conversation, and that can make a difference. Who are you mentoring, and how are you mentoring them? And and I think it's it goes to just everyday behavior. And mm. Tracy, before we got started, was talking about you know we don't intentionally exclude people um, when we come into a meeting, but we often do exclude people and so even having the awareness that you know when when a group of men walk into the room and they start talking about the sports game that mm -hmm. was on um, they are unconsciously excluding potentially both men and women in the room um, who now cannot relate to that conversation right. they end up sitting on the sidelines to those to those things and it never changes these these microaggressions and unconscious but no matter where you are in your career they still exist so I think you know, it's kind of like any problem that you have in the world. The first thing you do is recognize it. Right. The second is to be very intentional about about changing the conversation. And and women who have reached some degree of presence in the room also can tackle it head on. Um, I I will oftentimes make a statement about some you know popular women's team that's achieved a, a milestone or, you go know, mystics. go right. mystics, right? <laughs> so, or if, if, you know, everybody in the room is wearing their sports team hats, I might wear one that says equal pay, um, <laughs> just to make a point that, you know, the conversation is bigger. Uh, and sometimes we need to be able to confront those things head on in order to just create awareness. If we could get that far in the room, we've gone light years and ahead. And it's just appreciation for it is. the perspectives that everyone can add. Exactly. Yeah. And I come from a state with no professional football, basketball, whatever. So I'm always lost in these conversations <laughs> to include now. I just know this is going to be a traffic jam around where I live. So. <laughs> but isn't it interesting how, and I don't know if this is true for you, Gwen and Tracy, but you know, early in my career as a woman, I felt pressured to have to belong by being inauthentic to who I was. So, you know if I'm a musician and I love music and opera and art and everything and everybody in the room is talking sports, I feel like I've got to go home and study, you right. know, the yeah. latest and greatest in sports. And, and 
I think we can create environments where people don't feel like that, where people do have the ability to be authentic just through simple conversations and interactions every day. Yeah, there is a study by uh, Professor Adam Galinsky that talks about this power band and how women who speak up and advocate for themselves are sometimes labeled and challenged Yep, because <laughs> the world isn't ready to accept that in every environment. However, if you don't speak up, and you don't offer original thought or perspective to the meeting, you're also labeled as maybe not having leadership potential. So the band or in the, the middle. Skills. Or the skills, exactly. <laughs> Even though you're sitting there with the skills, you right. just didn't speak up. Every certification known to man, follow right. your name, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And that was brought up in the panel. How many yep. certifications do I need before you, you know. Take it seriously. <laughs> yes, but his, his point was there's power being reduced from the speaking up perspective, there's power being reduced from the not speaking up. So the actual power band that women have can get crunched, you know, mm -hmm. shrunk down to nothing. So how do we expand that? So how do we allow women to feel comfortable and safe, to your point, mm -hmm. speaking up and offering a counter view, contradictory perspective, without being labeled in mm -hmm. some negative way. And I know you both have encountered that because you're in male-dominated environments, both of you. <laughs> I, I always love the conversation about aggressive versus assertive. To me, right. that's the, the typical typecasting of women in any given situation. Um, you know, where if a man were to do a very similar um, action or have a, a similar statement to make they might be labeled as oh look at how assertive he is yes. and knowledgeable and and then afterwards the woman in the room who's done the same things called aside and you know you maybe you shouldn't be so aggressive you might be putting people so off you know do you have you to know, be so abrupt by being know, candid in the same way right yeah um it seems to disarm folks sure and there have been times where I will honestly say, again, I come from Alaska, so we don't have any professional teams at all. <laughs> right. And professional sports outside of hockey was the only thing that we had to deal with. NASA, they ended up having the Super Bowl, and it was after Columbia's accident. And I, as one of the key leaders, had to go down to the Super Bowl. I have no idea who's playing. <laughs> I have no idea who the quarterback is. Don't care. I have no idea who the games are, the owners of the games. <clears throat> All I remember about Super Bowls is they got great commercials, and I get to eat a lot that there day. Right. Back to food. So, back to food. <laughs> so, I, as a CFO, getting ready to go on this venture, required some briefings. So, my assistants went and pulled stuff off the internet so I could, you know, read and be at least knowledgeable, like you said, conversant. we have to do, and conversant, right, right. because I'm going to be encountering all sorts of different folks. And of course, that got around to some other folks. Oh, can you believe this? The CFO, she doesn't know about the Super Bowl, blah, blah, blah. She's got to study, right? So that was kind of diminishing me as an individual. But what I found to be really great was once I got to the Super Bowl and we're interacting with a lot of different individuals and we actually got to meet some of the owners of the team. And I was able to insightfully ask questions and commentary about things that I had read and learned where my counterparts were going, huh? <laughs> okay. Yes, that so. goes to Indra's point. Be prepared <laughs> right. in every situation and you instant instant credibility, right? There you go. Absolutely. So so the conscious bias, sometimes you can use it to your advantage. There you go. Sure. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, let's, uh, I'm going to wrap up with one more question. Um, I like to end a lot of these podcasts with the future. You know, what's happening in the future? What can we do? So I wanted to ask you all about how do you kind of encourage the future generations of young folks to enter this profession, to be future leaders? You know, what are, what are some things you, uh, you, you, some advice on that, on that topic? Money is where it's at. <laughs> Go on, Mary, next to you. <laughs> so, so this is, this is a, a personal passion of mine because um, I really just think I'm warming a seat at this point. Um, I'd like to warm it till I get to retirement, but, but I am still warming a seat and always like Gwen looking for who are, who are the next folks that, that could take this seat and, and helping getting them ready. And one of the things that I think that's really critically important, especially for me as kind of the last of the baby boomers, um, is that we have to stop putting young leaders, women, men, or otherwise in, in the box of, you know, they have to do things the way we've always done it, you know, in the same way we've always done it. And we're and stifling mm-hmm. that innovation. Um, our experiences are information to them. It's part of what I think helps them create awareness, but their journey is gonna be very different than ours. And so finding ways to help them you know, and mentor them in that way, but then also getting out of the way, allowing their innovation, um, allow creating safe spaces for folks to make mistakes, allowing them to grow from those experiences. Um, it's critical, I think, for people to know and to build the confidence that, that they can do this. Sure, sure, absolutely. And I will say, you know, government accounting is both noble and technical mm-hmm. at the same time. And I think there's a consciousness of the workforce of the future in, am I making a difference? How am I impacting? How am I contributing? And so I think that's what attracts people to government. But the mindset that they run into, where their views aren't appreciated, creativity is kind of stifled, um, is challenging. So to the leaders of tomorrow, I certainly uh, charge you that all things are absolutely possible. A, you have to humble yourself and be willing to learn. And there's such opportunity to learn, to your point, from the people who've accomplished so much so far. But at the same time, you can use what you've learned to introduce new technologies, new perspective. And government is, you know, some say, well, you can't be entrepreneurial. I I would disagree. There are Uh a lot of problems to be solved, a lot. (laughs) And so your thinking in that regard is valuable. So if you want to be in public service, but have something that's technically challenging with you know some rigorous problems to solve where, where your thinking is appreciated, this would be the career to explore. And with all the retirement that's happening, the wave of retirees, <laughs> they're high-fiving guys. Yeah. You can see that in this room. You're <laughs> not supposed to tell. <laughs> right, the, the, you know, the world is your oyster in that regard. So there's a lot of opportunity there. I mean, I do, yeah, I was going to say, I do believe that the career in particularly public and or nonprofit or state and local government accounting is going to change. Um, from the time that Mary and I came in, it was more transactional based. It was back office. Now, the CFO, the accounting, the finance community has a seat at the table because of the analytical data mm-hmm. that will drive 
key and major policy and um, decisions at the table on a daily basis. Risk and analytics, it's all kind of everything. Now. And yeah. then of course the technology that is is spurring along that way and a lot of the innovators in technology are female. Mm-hmm. And so we've got bots, we've got, you know, cubes, we've got analytical tools, blockchain, blockchain, <laughs> I mean, all this type of information. So the days of old of Mary and I are 14 winding. column green bar paper with debits and credits. Oh, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> the standard general ledger yeah. and the transactional level. That is all going to be a day of the past. Right. So and come so, on in workforce of the future as you graduate <laughs> think about federal state local public accounting and you could be mentored if you come right away you could be mentored by great women like mary <laughs> and right. gwen and yourself of course tracy <laughs> thank you okay well with that i'll thank you all for being here tracy mary gwen thanks for being here and uh, this was a great a great chat thank you paul thank and you, paul. thanks aga that's our show thanks for tuning in Check us out. AGACGFM.org is the website. Have all our podcasts. And we have many more coming up soon. So I hope you enjoyed that. And uh, we will be back very soon with another accountability talk with AGA. AGA.